Welcome to Protecting Your Assets, the show about protecting people, property, and most importantly, protecting your ass. I'm your host, Lucky Luciano, and I'd like you to join me for a fast-paced and often fiery discussion about security issues with my co-host, Brian the Angry Man Claimer. Whether we're piercing the veil of security, talking your duty of care, or raving about the latest technology, we'll share our thoughts on the issues, the trends that are impacting security today and into the future. So grab a coffee and join us for our latest podcast every second Monday. And don't forget to like and follow us on our sponsor's website, brianclayman.com. And now let's talk about protecting your assets. Hello, folks, and welcome to episode four of Protecting Your Assets. I'm your host, Lucky Luciano. With me, as always, is Brian the Angry Man Clayman. Today's topic is probably the most important aspect of human interaction or that we deal with on a daily basis, and that is communication. Regardless of who you are, where you are, and what you do for a living, communication is obviously critically important to being able to, to fulfill your your objectives. And in today's discussion in particular, we're going to be talking about business communications during a crisis. But before we get into that discussion, I'm going to have a sip of espresso and while I turn it over to Brian uh, for some opening comments to see what's keeping him up at night these days. Brian? Well, you know, it's been an interesting news cycle the last little while. Uh, the stories that I want to talk about a little bit sort of dovetail nicely into our talk today of communications. And I guess the first one is the Wii scandal. I just can't believe, you know, John Gotti, who was the godfather <laughs> of the... Half long done. Teflon Don, nothing stuck to him. And it just seems that our political leaders in Canada and the States had that John Gotti magic, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau. The Wee scandal, I was watching the uh, hearings the other day where the Prime Minister was being uh, deposed. It was amazing that nothing stuck to him and how he was able to wiggle and waggle. And, you know, one of two things is the outcome. If you are a, a Trudeau supporter, you think he did a fantastic job. And if you're a Trudeau detractor, you think he did a terrible job. And somewhere in there lies the truth. But what's amazing is how he was able to answer the questions that were put to him. I believe skate, and I'm not saying I'm not a Trudeau supporter, and I'm not saying that I am a Trudeau supporter, but skate be caught at obvious inconsistencies and it really doesn't do anything to his standing out there. I was following some polls the next morning, and nothing has really changed. I think what we see, and well, President Trump in the States is another example. I saw something on a press conference. He was talking about some findings of uh, some uh, Atlanta-based doctors. And there was this doctor, this uh, woman, who was talking about some uh, therapy that was working and that they are very bullish about, where they're using the genes of former COVID patients and aliens. and Aliens. You heard me yes. right, Luke. Aliens. aliens. <laughs> like, not aliens from Mexico, like aliens from Mars. Outer space. <laughs> Outer space. And when the president was asked about that, he said he was quite impressed with some of the doctors and some of the things they said. And again, you know, taking that back to communications, had someone said something like that not long ago, they would have been carried off to a facility. Yet, <laughs> Nothing happens, and it you know it's I guess part of the new normal. What do you yeah. think? <laughs> I unfortunately I agree. I think I think people have just become so accustomed to seeing the uh, the benchmark, if you will, in politics continue to decline, and 
you know, people are just complacent. They're fed up. They're tired. We've been tied up, uh, locked down in homes for three months. And, uh, to, you know, I, I think they're just giving up, to be honest, because there's no real alternatives out there. When you look at the landscape, uh, you know, regardless of which side of the political spectrum you, you sit on, there's really no options that I see. Uh, nobody that I like, you know, Prime Minister Fancy Socks, as I like to call him. I mean, to your point, he basically says whatever he wants. There's no impact as to what uh, what what happens in, in the polls, which is a sad statement, to, in my opinion, to, to the fact that people just don't care, don't pay attention, or have given up. And, and any one of those options is a bad place to be because people just, it speaks poorly for the future, I think. Well, well you've really messed me up now when you say about uh, Prime Minister Fancy Socks. I like that. <laughs> I may use that again. But when you say that... Uh, there's no consequence to anything he says. There's no reaction in the polls. I had to tear up my notes on today's podcast because <laughs> one of the things I was going to talk about that crisis communications is of critical importance because if you don't communicate effectively, people aren't going to trust you. Your business is going to go down the toilet. Yes. I guess these guys are proving that's not correct. So maybe we can have another topic because I'm not prepared now. Well, you know, it's funny you're right. It is sort of ironic that, that uh, it seems to be the case. But when it comes to private business, we don't have the luxury of uh, our elected politicians. Let's, True. let's put it that way. Um, so ter- turning to today's topic uh, of communication, I don't think we can really overstate the importance. And, and we're going to get into it a little more seriously, I, I would think. And you'll see the value. Certainly our listeners should understand the value of good communications during a crisis. We talked a little about uh, about it in previous episodes where we noted part of the struggles businesses had with COVID in particular, and we've talked about the mixed messages that, that we've received by the government, and that continues to play out um, even now, like weeks into, months into this COVID pandemic. People are still confused about some of the things they should and shouldn't be doing, and even though governments are starting to align that strategy, um, there's still some issues out there that people are, are insisting on not understanding or have uh, have been victimized by poor communication. Mask wearing is a perfect example, right? Now it's sort of an automatic that we should all be wearing masks, but you still have people out there believing that you sh- you don't have to wear masks, that it's bad for you, that that is not it shouldn't be a mandatory thing. So the remnants of that poor communication from the onset is still with us today, uh, and not only resulting in a lag and, and at times confusing response, but but it's in emboldened fringe groups, outliers, and conspiracy theorists that have traction in what's going on. So that that's a that's a result of what I think has been poor communication from the start. The other part of it is the fact that the days of of the no comment are long gone. So getting to the communication with respect to emergency response, if you don't have a good communication plan in place, ready to deal with what's going to happen to your company or, or the incident that impacts your your property. Giving the press no comment response, those days are long gone. If you don't give them a comment, somebody's going to make a comment for you. I'd rather control it. That that's that would be my initial opening remarks, right? Yeah, well, I agree with that. And I just want to build on that no comment thing. I had a real-life experience years ago when I was new to the policing and security uh, profession. And I was in my 20s, so it's a long time ago. But I was at a uh, robbery scene, a hold-up scene. And it was uh, long before the 24-hour news cycle. And I recall that it was about quarter to six in the evening, and there was a journalist, I think, from Radio Canada, CBC, this was in uh, Quebec, and he came to me and he asked, was asking me about the uh, holdup, and he wanted to know how much money was taken from the Brinks truck. And I told him, no comment. And he looked at me and he said, 
kid, it's quarter to six. We're going to be on the air in 15 minutes. I have to say something. Either you can tell me what was taken or I'll just make something up mm -hmm. because we have to report the story. And to your point about no comment, business has to think about that. You know, when I was a police officer, when you're a public safety officer, it, it's not the same thing. But when you're a business person and if you're not prepared to deal with the emergency, people are going to start filling in the blanks and they're probably going to say things that you don't want to hear and it's going to be detrimental. No comment doesn't cut it. You know, I'm amazed in uh, the year 2020, we still have so many companies and organizations yep. that don't only uh, not have a communication strategy or plan, but no comment, if they do have a plan, is part of that plan. I've worked yep. for companies that said, you know what, just no comment, tell them to call corporate communications. Uh, corporate communications is only open 9 to 5 Monday to Friday, but the incident may happen on a certain, uh, Saturday. Yep. It doesn't work. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. The fact that companies still believe that that's valid in, in an era where social media is changing and messaging uh, information out there by the second, um, it, it just astounds me that, that that position still exists. The first thing I want to talk about, uh, Brian, with respect to today's communication topic is the fact that we're really talking about crisis communications, um, not just communication between you and me over a beer, but really crisis communications during an incident. So the importance of having factual information, getting it out there in a the controlled uh, manner, and making sure that it's um, it's accurate, uh, valid, and timely. When we talk about communication strategy, it's the communication that your company is issuing to two audiences, the external stakeholders, the public, your tenants, uh, emergency services, government agencies. But there's also a communications plan that needs to address your internal audience, your your contractors, your employees, your emergency management team, and, and the two strategies should complement each other. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, in crisis communications, it has to be focused. The enterprise, the business uh, viability, its operations, people, stakeholders could be at risk. They could be threatened. And the purpose of the plan is to get information out to stakeholders of what's happening, what they need to do, and what uh, the organization is doing as a result of the crisis of the emergency. In some cases, the objective might be to seek uh, the public's cooperation. So, for example, if you were running a shopping mall or a major office building and there was a security incident and you're evacuating onto the street, the communication strategy might be to not only tell the people in the building what they need to know, but people in the surrounding area what's happening or perhaps yeah, well to stay away. Okay, so I'm just going to jump on the other side because, you know, I'm tired of, of, of playing with you all the time. I'm going to be on the other side. But why should I care about messaging to people who aren't in my building? Go on. What do I owe them? What do I well, owe them as a, as a property owner or business owner? For, forget about the fact that it's just the right thing to do. It's in your interest to do it, okay? It's in your interest because if things that happen as a result of your business are going to cause harm or disruption to others, it becomes a brand and reputation issue. It becomes a brand and reputation problem. If you look at the Tylenol issue, okay, and that one is so obvious, but the thing is a problem, an internal problem, a security problem that happened within their organization was impactful to the public. If they took the product that was tainted, they can get sick or die. Well, the same thing when there's a security incident in a building, if you had, let's say, an active attacker, and if you don't have a strategy to talk to the stakeholders, and one of the stakeholders are the neighbors, they can be adversely impacted. 
And if you say, well, it's not my problem, I'm not the police, but it's your brand, it's your reputation. You don't want to be seen as that business that was so self-centered, didn't care about the actions of your organization or enterprise, causing hardship or harm to others. That's why you need to do it. It's not that it's forget about the fact your mother said that you've got to be a good guy and we've got to play nice. You've got to do it for self-serving interests, if nothing else. No, absolutely. I, so I, I, is that the best you can attack me? <laughs> Give me some time. I'm trying to generate some discussion. Some discussion. Because uh, <laughs> I'm getting angry now. <laughs> Good. That's what I want to see. That's okay. why you've got that moniker. You've got to earn it. Okay. <laughs> but you will remember, uh, you know, as another example, one of our first uh, exercises that we did downtown, uh, I'll never forget we had uh, emergency services in that in that exercise. It was a big tabletop that we were pretending to – to have a train derailment down at the, yes. the station. And I remember that uh, one of our injects in that exercise, we said the train's derailed. We didn't say why. We didn't say what was leaking from that train and other than the fact that it had, that it derailed. And, and we had three or four uh, hotels go immediately to evacuation uh, mode uh, on that inject. And I heard from the back of the room the fire chief say, Jesus Christ, well, he said something a little more colorful <laughs> than that. But, uh, you know, basically, holy crap, you know, I can't even get my trucks to the scene right now because there's 10,000 people on the street, which yes. was, you know, it was what our first inject in that exercise. And it really brought to light right away the importance of communicating with your neighbors, because if you don't, if they don't know what you're doing, you're going to impact their operations negatively or positively. There's going to be an interaction there. And that that's the importance of that communication piece. Well, we're in this together. Like, I remember when I was down on Bay Street at one of the bank towers in back a few years ago, uh, midway between 9-11 and now, when there was all the white powder and the anthrax and all those scares. And I used to love the fact that we, outside, let's say, let's pick on the TD Center. Uh, outside that building, you will you would see a whole bunch of fire trucks that say HAZMAT, okay, or CVRN, Chemical Biological Radiological Nuclear. And you know that there was some sort of event happening in the building. But you would call the building, even one security group to the other security group, and ask what's happening and say, oh, nothing, we just have a minor incident. And then we would have, in our building across the street at Commerce Court, we had people calling us, starting to panic, saying, what's yeah. happening? Is there a nuclear device? Is there anthrax? Do I have to be worried about? So the fact that you're having a security incident, you're having some sort of uh, disruption to your business, you really have to be mindful of the fact that is, you know, am I going to get caught out? Are people going to find out? Another great example of bomb threats. I used to be amazed uh, of uh, how many people would try and keep it quiet. So there'd be oh. a bomb threat and there would yeah. be, okay, don't tell anyone, but they would evacuate 500 people out of an office. Yeah. And all of a sudden, phone calls in the downtown core, one office to another, TD Center to Commerce Court to Scotial Plaza. There's a bomb in the building. There's a gunman in the building. And everyone starts self-evacuating. That's why you have to communicate effectively. You want to control the story. You don't want that no comment that people are going to make it up. You want to control the story. You want yeah. to tell the stakeholders you're trying to reach. Something is happening. This is what we're doing about it. Here's a holding statement. We're aware of it, okay? And stand by for further information. Otherwise, you're hostage to social media and all the bunk that's saying there's a Martian zombie apocalypse underway. And then you've lost control. For sure. That, that's a good way of putting it. And it segues nicely into my next points, which is what I consider the crisis communication fundamentals. And they're basically three points. The first one is to have a plan, to be prepared, have a plan, understand how that's going to be activated, its purpose, 
and who is going to be managing that, that, that plan. A team of key people that's trained and familiar with the communication systems uh, procedure so that they're able to speak to it. That's the first piece. So being prepared, obviously, and having a plan. The second piece is that that plan has to communicate. It communicate often at the earliest point that you can and to do it in an honest manner. It's funny that you mentioned that, you know, the, the property manager didn't want to communicate the issues to, to their tenants. I can't tell you how many times I've walked through uh, scenarios, especially when it comes to active attack, where it's like, Oh no, we don't want to tell them there's an active attack in the building. We don't want, we don't want to, we don't want to scare them. Well, we don't want to ruin their day. Yeah. We don't want to ruin their day. They're going to have a, their day ruined when the guy bursts into their freaking offices and starts blasting away. Right. So I never understood that. And, but there's still people out there who insist on keeping the bad news tight to their chest. And I don't, under, I really don't understand that, especially in today's world where everything's on the internet within seconds. Yeah. Um, you know, we're not, we're not missing a, a newspaper delivery here. It's not a coffee spill in the hallway. It's a serious incident when we're talking about crisis communication so if something goes wrong you're going to be asked about it as the property owner as the as the uh the, the pm in charge they're going to ask you when it's all said and done what did you know when did you know and what did you do about it and if you're going to say well i knew there was an active attacker in the building but you didn't tell anybody about it boy good luck with that uh, lawsuit by the way you don't mind if i call you david s at this point what did you know? What did you know? What? <laughs> David uh, we, Salstead, our good oh, friend from geez, Oxford. That's it. Now he's going to come after us. <laughs> rebuilding. When your response and your crisis communications response are brought into question and your answer is you kept it to yourself because you didn't think they needed to know, you better have a good lawyer ready to, to defend you. I, I remember, uh, you know, remember the girl who was um, stabbed the lady yes. in the shopper's drug mart, remember? The path, and, yeah. And again, and we had a debrief with the PathCom team there because some of the stakeholders were insisting on not sharing information yeah. because they didn't have the information. Uh, they wanted to verify the information before they shared it with the PathCom group. Um, whereas as the PathCom members, the greater PathCom community, well, wanted the information. Just give us something so that they knew what was going on. And just to clarify for the for the listeners, PathCom is a, is a communication platform that Brian and I uh, certainly helped found in the downtown core, which connects over 30 stakeholders together, private private businesses, private properties to each other so that they can actually communicate during a crisis in a clear and effective way. Um, so I just wanted to clarify what PathCom was since we're referring to that. But Brian, you remember that uh, that incident and the issues with communications? Very much so. And I, I was one of the ones that was quite animated uh, with the fact that the information was released to the stakeholders because they wanted to verify it. They wanted to keep it quiet. The reality was you had a homicide in the path. There were police cars on the street. There were ambulances on the street. There was a, you, you know, there, there was yellow tape all over the place. I'm sorry. The cat's out of the bag. At times like that, it's too late. I don't understand the rationale. Now, they wanted to wait till they could verify more information. It, you shouldn't be saying things that you don't know is true, but there are holding statements that there has been an incident. The police are on scene. The situation is under control. It's un, it's upsetting. It was upsetting for me at the time. There's part of that PathCon community that they weren't even going to tell that to me. But in the meantime, my phone was ringing off the hook, not only from my executives, but from our tenant contacts to say, what's happening? Are we safe? Should we leave? That's why communications is important and quickly and actu uh, 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 accurately and uh, uh, directed to the stakeholders that need to know. That leads me to my third and final sort of fundamental, I think, when it comes to crisis communication. So, you know, number one, being having the plan. Number two, communicating 
openly and honestly. Number three, I think, is to establish that program early. Don't wait for the stuff to hit the fan, uh, which is what PathCom did. We had that up and running well before the G20, been serving the Toronto downtown core ever since. Uh, but it's important to understand who your partners are so that that trust can be established early on that when things go bad, you're going to have good intel sharing, you're going to have good reporting, you're going to have trust in each other's um, uh, abilities to manage the situation. And I think, you know, G20 was really, I think, one of our, our highlights down there. Uh, I think the community, certainly in the financial district, came together very well. We were openly having, you know, daily briefings and nothing classified here. It's just daily briefings to understand who was experiencing what, what they expected to see and what they were doing to prepare for those things. Good intelligence sharing, understanding what was going on. I remember the one time we had reports that, uh, you know, the black bloc had infiltrated the, the underground path and we were quickly able to leverage good communications between the pathcom teams to quickly look at the, the underground path assure everybody that the black bloc had not breached the underground path and then subsequently locked it down you know something like two minutes flat which had never have been done before all that was a fundamental result of good communications and a platform that allowed that to happen yeah no i i you know exactly you're entirely right it really comes down to a garbage in, garbage out. You cannot make decisions in a vacuum. And this notion that used to be prevalent throughout the security community and businesses that these are secrets, we've got to remain siloed, we can't be sharing the secret sauce with other people, just doesn't work. Identified stakeholders need to know what's happening, even if it's not directly impacting them. You know, one of the things or legacies of G20 that I and you were fortunate to be part of is we uh, partner with Toronto Police and I don't know if that initiative still exists but uh, their corporate communications group mm -hmm. realized the importance of working with the stakeholders in the downtown core the big property operators so that when something bad happened we can get together from a communication strategy point of view and the police were chairing that uh, uh, committee would basically say this is a messaging that has to get out how does that impact you building A or building B or shopping mall C? Coordinate the message. No one got blindsided. And the beneficiary were the stakeholders that got the information. Uh, I, I, I think it's really important to communicate effectively, quickly. But, you know, I'm going to take your three uh, components and I'm going to break it down a little bit further to 10. And, and, and really, I, I think I'm saying some of what you said, but I'm going to elaborate because I'm a lot more of a deeper thinker than you and i have a lot more knowledge and experience so basically i think there's 10 key points broken into two categories pre-crisis and post-crisis in pre-crisis we're talking about anticipate crisis okay don't wait for it to happen before it happens sit down and think about the things that could happen that are likely to happen and what you're going to do about it and then before it happens identify the crisis team Who's going to be on the team? It should it should be a team, not just one person. As mm -hmm. I told you with Toronto Police, and I think it was after the Eaton Center shooting, it wasn't G20. It was a realization that Toronto Police would have a press release and saying one thing, and Cadillac Fairview might say something else or want something else, and the message was getting confused, much like in COVID right now. Mm -hmm. You know, the president says one thing, CDC says another thing. So they realized the importance to consolidate the message, and the stakeholders, private sector and public sector, work together. Identify and train spokespersons. The days of no comment can't continue. Yeah. I know the companies like to, and the company I worked for and the company you worked for were no different. And they like, they're worried. They're terribly concerned that something's going to say something wrong that's going to be detrimental. And they're probably right. 
And that's happening not because the person that says it is stupid. They're not trained. They don't know what to say. So when you develop your team, train spokes, uh, uh, identify and train a spokesperson because at 3 o'clock in the morning on a 24-7 news cycle, you can't say, wait until 9 o'clock till yeah. the crisis communication spokesman is back on duty. And then establish a notification monitoring system. How are you going to get the message out? Is it press releases? Are you going to use something like SendWord now? How are you going to communicate with your tenants if the building burns down on a Sunday night at 3 o'clock in the morning? Email doesn't work. No one's sitting by their email. So how are you going to get that message to stakeholders and identify the stakeholders? As simple as that is. There's tenants. There's employees. There's their families. What if your employees are hurt? How do you contact the families? There's emergency services. How do you contact Toronto Police? Calling 911 to say, I want to talk to Charlie to figure out the message is not the way to do it. Who is the person you got to talk to in emergency services? Probably really important is, especially if you're going to have spokespeople that are not professional communications people, develop holding statements. Things like, we have implemented our crisis plan, which places the highest priority on health and safety of our guests and staff. Or, our thoughts are with those that were in harm's way and we hope that they are well. Or, please contact the Toronto Police or your local police service who are taking the lead on this. These are things you can say rather than no comment. These are going to buy you time, but they're not going to buy you time forever. They're going to buy you time to get your thoughts together. Post-crisis, when it's over, assess what happened, okay? Finalize and adapt key messages. We just talked today, you and I, with the client. We were doing an emergency plan for them, and we said it's one thing to put your plan together, what you're going to do, but you have to change it as the situation dictates. And after every time there's an incident, we'll do an after-action review and we'll figure out what worked, what didn't, what changes are necessary. Same thing with crisis communication. You've got to modify the messages, learn from the mistakes you made, and keep sustaining doing the things that worked well. And the last thing is make sure you document your findings. Well, for the record, i got to say that I summarized that in three points. You'd have to take ten. So it's, I'm way more efficient than you are. Oh, <laughs> my not, God. I'm not You're a legend in your own butt. I didn't hear any of that, but go on. <laughs> All right. Uh, then the time just clicks away over here. Uh, we're gonna. I'm going to move over to takeaways, okay? Uh, the ten-step ten uh, summaries, uh, I think we could generally agree on that. I could do it in three. You could do it in ten. But uh, – you know, critical takeaways, I think, is important for, for our listeners, just the basic overview of, of what they should be concerned with. I think the big one that's changed over the, over the last few years, and, and you've touched on it, is the 24-7 use and social media cycle has certainly changed things in crisis communications over the last few years. Gone are the days where you could do something in relative isolation and no one would ever find out. You know, in the 1940s or 50s, you, you, you did something that was terrible. There weren't going to be cameras around to capture that. There weren't going to be people who were going to be posting that online. You know, if you were lucky, a local news agent or, or journalist might pick it up. It might get national coverage and it might go international. Today, that same incident happens. There's a guy on his phone. And he's instantly accessing billions of people around the world and they know what's going on. They may not have any clue as to what preceded the event. All they're going to do is see what that person's presenting. So that's a big problem that's changed crisis communications. Um, and that certainly has pushed the envelope to respond to a much tighter tight line for, for business leaders. Leveraging partnerships, I think, is another takeaway and understanding uh, how you can use technology to monitor those issues um, and, and potential issues before they come on the radar. So, for example, going back to social media, govern, uh, businesses nowadays should be monitoring what's being said about them online. And we've got 
examples, certainly in my previous employment, where things were being said about the company or the things that we were doing or some of the people that worked for us that raised concern. And we were able to respond to those things quickly uh, because we had monitoring resources in play. Transparency is critical. We talked about telling people what they need to know. Stop hiding behind things, pretending that it's better that you just don't tell them. Those days are gone. You have to be honest and forthright with your information. And some of the examples I pose, you know, the Toyota disaster with the accelerator that would freeze, uh, the Volkswagen um, emissions issue. You know, these are things where the company knew that they were wrong, that they were offside, but the messaging to the public was, hey, everything's great. We're doing it right. Opioids, another great example. Pharma was talking about how safe their products were, how they were non-addictive. And lo and behold, here we are a, gener- a decade later, and we're suffering the consequences of all that BS uh, communications that they were putting out there. So communications is important and what you're saying uh, and, and what you're doing with it. Brian? Yeah, no, I agree 100%. You know, uh, to summarize in 30 seconds what took you five <laughs> minutes to say, there really are no more secrets. There really are. You know, you, the yeah. example you gave during World War II, the melee massacre in Vietnam, okay, that came out, but months later, I think right. even longer. Nowadays, it's instantaneous. Business has to realize there are no secrets. Everything leaks, okay? Yeah. Containment's not going to work. And you must get out in front of uh, the crisis. You must get out proactively and you must manage it. Otherwise, you're not leading the response. You're responding to the inputs that are coming right. in. And that's not where you want to be. Yeah, once once the, gate, the, the horse has left the barn, so to speak, then it's going to be a lot tougher changing the narrative if it's yeah. been led by somebody else. And to your point, that's absolutely correct. Um, I like to, to highlight is the Maple Leaf Foods uh, Listeria incident back in 2008. People died from, from it. Um, the company could potentially have looked really bad. But instead, what did they do? They got in front of it, right? And, and everyone knows about the legendary meeting and now, I guess, where the CEO, Mike McCain, uh, was, was in his meeting with all the, the big shots. And basically took accountability, kicked out the lawyers, apparently, which I, I, mean, I love that story, and kicked <laughs> out the accountants, right? These are guys who all are there to quickly say, don't do that. You might get in trouble. So good on him to have the courage to have taken ownership of the situation. And basically, what did he do? He got in front of the messaging, put himself on national TV, and empathized with the, with the victims of, of what was going on, admitted that they had done something wrong, but also told them what they were doing right to fix it, to make things right going forward. And it was open, honest, transparent. And, and what happened I mean, now, like I said, it's, it's a case study of what you should be doing right when things go wrong and the type of communications you should be you should be putting out there. Yeah, and even though Shakespeare said kill the lawyers, and sometimes I feel the same <laughs> way, I mean, it is a reality, and the lawyers, the corporate lawyers are there to help you, but that's why the holding statements in your crisis communication plan are so important, because what it does is it doesn't make it look like you're disinterested. It buys you time, yep. so then you can craft the right message. Hoping it goes away, because I tell you, when I started out in this business a million years ago, we just hoped it went away. We yep. just hoped. I had people, superiors, tell me, let's just not talk about it. Don't bring it up. Maybe it will go away. It may have worked then. It doesn't work now. Certainly yeah. doesn't work now. Absolutely. Times times have certainly changed. Um, and with that, our time is up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> See, I'm getting good at that. <laughs> we uh, we are going to come back to you with episode five in a couple of weeks. But uh, before I sign off, I'm going to. I'm going to allow Brian to speak one more time and summarize. So if you got anything, any last minute uh, comments, thoughts, Brian, before we uh, sign off? No. 
<laughs> my feelings are hurt, but no. I think it was uh, a good session, and all that had to be said has been said. <laughs> okay, well, with that, I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with you to keep it uh, keep it keep it tight and end it off with a, a thank you to our listeners. We appreciate your continued support, and we look forward to bringing you episode five in a couple of weeks. Until then, uh, take care. Thanks, everyone. See you in a few weeks. Bye bye. That concludes this podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening and will join us in a couple of weeks for our latest episode. Please remember to like and follow us on our sponsor's webpage, brianclayman.com, where you can leave us your comments and suggest topics you'd like to hear about in future episodes. Until next time, thanks for listening and don't forget to protect your assets. <laughs> <laughs>